You're listening to Almost Diplomatic, DC-based podcast that discusses geopolitics, national security, a whole bunch of nonsense over beers. And as a disclaimer, the views and comments made during this episode are those of the participants and do not represent any entity that they volunteer with or are employed by. Enjoy! Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Almost Diplomatic. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me today is... Robert Thomas. And Lex Cardone. And we're recording on April 5th, like week two of quarantine. Yeah, our first experiment in using conferencing software to record an episode. Yeah, so... so this may or may not fall utterly to pieces more than our usual episodes. Well, we have a low bar we've set for previous episodes, but, so now we have an excuse if this one falls to pieces. It's yeah. important to manage expectations, of course. Yeah. We've been yeah. playing the long game. Oh, yeah. So, uh, because it's in the news and basically affecting everyone's lives, uh, we're going to talk about COVID-19 a little bit and kind of how it's infected mankind as a whole, because it's been a mess. Um, but before that, as usual, go over our drinks. And since we're all uh, separate from each other... Um, I'll, um, how about Lex, you go first. What are you drinking? Oh, on the spot. I'm drinking a uh, stout called the True Story Milk Stout. It's from Dynasty Brewing Company in Ashburn, Virginia. Good local local company. And it's uh, it's a really good stout. It's kind of a mix of like, it's it's a milk stout, so it's got some kind of Guinnessy. It's got Guinnessy elements to it, but it also tastes more like a porter than a traditional stout. It's kind of, so it's kind of got that mix, and I, I really enjoy it. Um, I would give it uh, we're, we're, scale is five, right? Yeah, I'd give it a five out of five. Huh? That's the first time ever, except for Natty Bo and Guinness. <laughs> There's no way I gave Natty Bo a five out of five. I, you don't have to because it doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I got when tyranny rules. Yeah. All right, Rob, what are you drinking? So I am drinking another uh, iteration of my as-yet-formally-unnamed quarantine cocktail that I've been experimenting with. Uh, let's call, the let's call it on. that. The quarantine. I mean, well, it's not it's not, it's not that style <laughs> yeah. of, uh, of a cocktail. Um, I, I Going the whiskey cocktail route rather than uh, clear liquors. Sure. Uh, but it is Catoctin Creek rye, uh, Cointreau, a uh, little bit of mixed tonic and soda water with peach bitters uh, and a little grenadine as well. So I've been experimenting with the ratios on all of the ingredients. Um, and this time I did a little bit of a twist um, in adding some Abraham Bowman port barrel aged bourbon. Um, wow. How much of that did you add? So I used about two-thirds of a shot's worth um, of of that as opposed to about one and a half shot's worth of the Catoctin Creek rye. So smaller portion, but it's got some interesting aspects to the flavor that I I think work well. So this this cut, I think uh, the ratios that I've been toggling with are are coming pretty well. So I'm going to give this a 4.5 out of 5. Okay. So are you going to start, are you going to get on the um, cocktail to go train and start serving up cocktails to people driving through your 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 building complex <laughs> uh, i i have 
zero time for the bureaucracy that I'm sure would be involved in that. Well, there um, are no rules anymore. I mean, so. <laughs> well, give it. Give it's it, anarchy. Give it a couple weeks, and and we'll all be in pure Lord of the Flies mode, but with okay. our cocktail sales. I mean, po- po- post Rona. Yeah. Um. All right. So, and- no natty bow for you, Ryan. Uh, I had an Addy Bow um, before, when I was, before when I was getting setting everything up. But uh, no, I'm drinking uh, a rum and coke with Malibu and Di Sirono. It's basically all a bunch of ingredients I had left over when that one time we made like, uh, blue milk for Star Wars in the Lost episode. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I don't know, like a four. It's fine. I don't know. I feel like a four is high for just fine fine yeah make a decision yeah. here ryan i know usually because we just drink beer i don't know three and a half i go with three and a half it's like it's it's fine i don't know but okay well it's it'll uh it'll do the job get you through this quarantine until you run out and have to start begging on the streets of arlington it's mostly because i'm rationing my natty bow okay um, that's smart <laughs> have you figured uh does total wine do delivers deliveries not delivers. I, sh- I should. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I need to look. But actually, the um, the brew shop in Arlington has a curbside like service. Yeah. You basically like, have to go and like order stuff, and then like you can go and pick it up. I might go do that uh, when yeah. I run out of beer. Yeah. Support local business. That uh, yeah. the Jack Rose whiskey sale was very. That was a profitable journey. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, jealous. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, as everyone's come to the conclusion, we, we've kind of like this has been like a slow journey for us because, um, you know, usually we all get together and we record the episode in person, like at my condo. We have a, all nice, like, four mics set up. And then I think like, we did the expense episode right before, like, the quarantine kind of started. Yeah. We, we did were still... that the day before. I remember that. We did that, like, when I had people over, it was we did it the day after, and then the next day, it was like Sunday. The next day, I got an email from where I work saying, "Yeah, don't don't show up today." Um, after I we'd finished recording together, so yeah, we were in kind of a middle ground at that point where right. there there was guidance starting to come out, and we made a point of kind of maintaining distance and and no no physical contact, no handshakes, high fives, yeah. any of that nonsense. Um, not that I think we have trouble social not. distancing from each other anyway. <laughs> um, that was a sweet joke, bro. High five. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, Assuming that Ryan wiped down the mics, I mean, not thinking too much about it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been plenty of time, so either you're sick or you're not. Yeah. But, yeah, now and now we're in a totally different mindset, both nationally and internationally, in terms of what's, you know, what's allowed, what's not. Um, this... this you know, brand new term. I'm sure Webster's Dictionary is going to have social distance, social dis- distancing as the term of the year. Yeah, um, I mean, we other things like COVIDiot is one of my personal <laughs> personal favorites. It's it's been a different, yeah, it's been a kind of a, a weird thing for us because we did a practice ago, like a, like what is it Saturday or it wasn't yesterday. Friday. It was a month Friday. Friday, Friday is when we yeah tested out. Uh, yeah. video conferencing stuff yeah kind of just like if we, if we could record it and then if we could pay, move the audio and all that kind of stuff and yes we can so hopefully this all turns out fine it was uh it was really, but i also i mean i've been doing lots of like virtual game nights and like skyping of people i usually don't do that with like we it was all kind of yeah it's been weird yeah. this <laughs> idea mean, of 
I mean, I was never a huge FaceTime person, but I've been doing that constantly. I've been calling people. I've been, you know, it, it's funny, the human need for social interaction, even in situations like this, you know, we, we have, you know, we have these new technologies. We have things like Zoom and Skype and such and such, but we also have things like picking up the phone, which I guess kind of fell out of fashion for our generation. It certainly <laughs> did for me. What is this archaic technology? Yeah. <laughs> phone call. Well, I mean, one thing that's been interesting is sort of the the juxtaposition of how quickly expectations have changed and how quickly guidance has changed um, and people's responses to it on the one hand, but also how quickly people have found ways to adapt right. um, in a lot of cases. Because I think for maybe the last week or so we've finally gotten into some, at least here in our area, um, sort of in in the DC area and the broader region around us. I think we've gotten into sort of that another one of those terms that's coming up, the new normal, where the expectations are kind of stabilized. But before that, we were going through a period where like Every week or even half week, uh, we were hitting new kind of benchmarks in terms of what the expectations were for the impact of this, what the guidance was on how to respond to it, and and other factors that we would not have even imagined. Uh, Even most of us who were pretty tuned into uh, the coverage of this, that we would not have even imagined a week or half a week or whatever prior uh, it's yeah. been such a, a fast evolving situation. I was, I was talking with my my brother about this on the phone a week or two ago. Exactly that phenomenon of just how quickly it changed, but at the same time, people have been switching all kinds of things to remote platforms, figuring out new tools, all kinds of ways to cope, much more quickly than I think I would have expected. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I another thing, I mean, it just changed the last couple of days. With now, it's like kind of suggested everyone should wear masks in public. Yeah, so which is which has been like a kind of a cultural mainstay in East Asia, especially since I don't know before SARS, but certainly since that's kind of been an accepted and almost uh, mandatory feature. Um, with these, but now it's. I, I mean, I. Um, I took my first walk today um, in over a week, and the amount of masks I saw today versus the last weekend were three, four, five times as many. And um, so it's just it, going back to what Rob was talking about, about adaptation, um, you know, walking by the few stores that are open and seeing uh, duct tape X's on the ground for where people should stand to line up or queue up, as the Brits would say. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But like it's just like it stuff like that. It's like it's fascinating the ability for pe- both you know individuals, groups of people, families, and then all the way up to the sus- the societal level, adapting to what was less than a week ago a totally unprecedented situation. Got well, and I I think it's interesting to note that when you look at a lot of countries in East Asia having norms around wearing masks in public that go back several years prior to this. Yeah. The focus of that is, is not primarily to keep yourself from getting sick uh, because a lot of standard surgical masks have a, a limited uh, value for that. Not, 
none necessarily, but the, it, it's not um, certainly not a, a catch-all solution. The focus is keeping you from getting other people sick. Yeah, it's it's a, so you're not breathing or coughing or sneezing stuff onto other people. And especially with the research that's been coming out suggesting that a huge proportion of cases uh, come from people who either aren't showing symptoms yet, even though they're infected, uh-huh. or they they carry an infection sort of silently without ever becoming symptomatic, but they can still spread it to other people. Like that's, I mean, I think that's a, an interesting kind of question and social norms of at what point are you thinking more about keeping yourself from getting sick versus keeping yourself from getting other people sick? Yeah. That gets back to the basic question of what do we owe to each other in, you know, per- what role does the individual have in preserving societal and public health in this case? But I think that goes through a lot of, you know, other areas. And it's just, it's, yeah, that whole, that mindset is very interesting to me because I don't know, it's just something you don't see here as often. And I don't know if that's a cultural thing or, a, you know, American individualism type, don't tell me what to do. Don't court, what the ethics. Don't of, tread on me. Don't tell me where to go and what I can and can't what pole i can and can't lick or what grocery store i can and can't cough on like i don't know so i think that but i think that kind of hits at something really interesting which is you've had definitely evolving expectations of how people who who are responsible um in a general way are coming to understand the risks and challenges of this and changing their behavior to adapt to that but then you also have definitely a minority and a shrinking minority, I think, but a vocal one who have had, not just in the U.S., but we've certainly seen prominent instances here of really just wacko backlashes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some some crazy stuff lately. Yeah. I, I, I It's one of the things I wanted to talk about because like, I thought about this the other day. And how the world is kind of reminding me of is like The Walking Dead, because <laughs> the like people the, are the problem. Yeah, yeah, the, pe- yeah, the people are the problem. Not like the virus. I mean, the virus is still a huge problem. It's, it's causing it's, it causes the rest of the world to kind of change, and we've seen it. And like it's been all kinds of crazy. So like, one of the, the most insane things was uh, the incident in L.A. Um, with the U- U.S. N.S. Uh, Mercy, a hospital ship. A uh, a man tried to hit that ship with a train. Not just not just any man. It was an engineer uh, from yeah. from the train line, uh, someone who who knew how this thing worked um, and had some whacked out conspiracy theory that I don't think was very clearly articulated, no, but that like somehow this was all a takeover or something, something rah yeah. rah rah. But he, yeah, he wasn't... tried to run a train into a ship, which was it, interesting. Yeah, which is. On its own, it's crazy, but like this guy clearly has some expertise. He knows how fast he has to go around what bend and what to do to derail a, a giant multi-ton moving object. But it's also just like this kind of conspiracy. I mean, we've done, we've talked about conspiracies, conspiracies before, and how one of the big themes of that is it's not limited to idiots. Um, anybody can become infected with this, just like anybody can become infected with the coronavirus. It's just, it, it's just very fascinating and scary. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, uh, a quote, I have this from NPR. You only get this chance once. The whole world is watching. I had to. People don't know what's going on here. Now they will. Like, and what do people know? You didn't even say anything. It wasn't like, it, it, a lot it, of these guys have like manifestos that they post online, rambling, Gaddafi-esque kind of like, <laughs> th- yeah, things that they, but, it, but, it, but it, just right? like, wake people up. It reminds me of the Jade Helm crowd. Um, back in the day. Yeah, back in the day with the good old day. It's because like, like the crazy of like you know the good old days. The FEMA, yeah, yeah, the FEMA camps in uh in the WalMarts and all that kind of stuff, and the uh, institution of martial law across the country. Um, you mean FEMA camp in the biggest gun seller, the biggest private seller of firearms in America. Oh no, they they were they were, em- they were empty WalMarts. Uh, oh, that empty- went out of business. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was special. <laughs> let's yeah. let's let's do San Quentin, but like in a giant gun store, gun show in North Carolina. Like, how about how about we do that? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just that kind of thing. It's probably there's gonna be more of that because that guy got the idea from somewhere. Oh, Mostly. somewhere from the internet. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the things that that I read recently that was fascinating is some reporting that came out from the European Union's uh, diplomatic. Uh, service basically an analysis of online actors based in and aligned with the Russian and Chinese governments um, who already spread disruptive disinformation disruptive. Um, as, as a matter of course specifically doing so with respect to uh, trying to undermine public confidence in Europe in uh, public health measures and responses to the coronavirus. Hmm. Um, so trying to undermine the credibility of both the EU and European national governments on these topics from uh, different disinformation and troll farm accounts. Right. Uh, and it, that, I mean, that's, that's interesting because it, it affects the behavior of members of the population who are, for whatever reason, kind of, susceptible to buying into conspiracy theories or just lame propaganda. Uh, but it's it's also kind of troubling that you're seeing either nation state actors or at least proxies who think that they are acting at the behest of those nation state actors um, responding in this way to a public health crisis that affects all of us on the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's a it's in the same realm of people coughing on food hmm. for whatever reason. Um, I know there's the oh, one yeah, guy that's been a thing. Yeah, it's just it's just I don't know if it's people who are just like un- mentally unstable, you know, and uh, you know, mental health issues and that kind of stuff, or just like have some sort of or just it also it's a lot of prank videos of people like coughing on other people, which has not gone well for those people involved. It's like Tide Pods, I, like Tide Pods, but just for like oh let's take advantage of this just to troll people in real life because i mean uh, I, kind like, of yeah. the boogaloo types like oh this <laughs> i mean when i was at the at the grocery store uh several days ago i had a a teenager who was not in school um given the fact that the schools are all shut down or switched to remote um come up behind me with a water spray bottle and fake sneeze on me from behind as a wow. prank. Um, and he's lucky that he found someone with the self-control that 
that I have um, because if he did that to certain other people, he probably would have gotten his nose broken. Um, But that's that's sort of something that we might expect from an immature, clueless teenager. But when you have allegedly full-grown, mentally developed adults um, doing stuff like that, with yeah. pranking people with with stuff about the coronavirus and coughing on things in supermarkets, I I at least maybe I'm old fashioned in this. Think we should be applying higher standards to uh, to adults than we should to dumbass teenagers that we tell to get off our lawns. Higher standards? What are those? But, I mean, with fading the, the, quickly. Yeah. The, be, the best thing about a lot of that stuff is most people are recording themselves doing it, so they have evidence. They're giving the basically the police here's evidence of me being an asshole. Yeah. Because yeah. one, well, I one can't guy, wait till the judges. Uh, and now we have ev- exhibit a uh, our TikTok video of a. It's interspersed with dancing, but it's also coughing on people. <laughs> like. Well, like there was one guy who who did that in Missouri. Or he coughed on like food and stuff. And, like, he's been charged with a terroristic act. Wow. <laughs> so it's like, I see, which is also funny because in Missouri they actually had, they killed another terrorist who was actually going to bomb a hospital. Well, just a quick note on the folks who are doing the stupid prank stuff. We talked a moment ago about the fact that there is plenty of evidence showing that people who aren't showing symptoms can be carriers of this. And that's a big part of why all of these recommendations on social distancing and hygiene are things that everyone is supposed to follow. Because guess what? Someone who feels perfectly healthy and is being a piece of garbage and coughing on groceries or on strangers could actually have the virus and be causing real infections, not just scaring people yeah just the idea that it's not only only the asymptomatic carriers it's you know the fact that you don't even have to cough or sneeze to spread this you just have to breathe and um obviously coughing and sneezing i saw some diagram that if you sneeze it can spread at six feet if if you cough if you cough it's two and a half feet but even if you just breathe near somebody it can spread to like at one and a half to two feet away but so. well uh good Good thing that most people be wearing masks now, because everyone's gonna look like a bunch of bank robbers. Yeah, I'm like, I like. Were you guys able to even to get masks anywhere? Um, I, apparently, a lot of people are selling like cloth masks, but like, what? What? Are, I mean, I, I think you have, there's there's some research that needs to be done about what's what works and what doesn't. My, so, well, so my, they're, my, they're... my mom made me one. Is mailing oh, yeah. it to me? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> mom. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. There is already pretty reliable. Uh, research on what kinds of fabrics and, and textiles you need to have a sufficient density um, to protect against droplet particles getting through. Um, so the, the guidance is out there. The question is just whether people are doing an adequate job of following it. And for, at least in in my experience, um, so I, for one, um, know absolutely nothing about sewing um yeah but i i have uh, friends and acquaintances who do who have made a point of producing masks as donations for uh healthcare workers and grocery workers and and other 
uh, other folks who were kind of on the front lines, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically everyone that I've that I've heard from who's been doing that seems like they've been following uh, the guidelines on that very closely. They've been very attentive to, okay, what's actually kind of the information from the the CDC and, and other sources about what materials I need to use, what designs are appropriate to actually make sure these things are, are protective and, and helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so someone who is, is trying to hawk that stuff for a profit may have a different perspective and motives, but at least the people I've seen who are doing it for charitable purposes have been uh, very attentive and responsive to what the the research back to guidance is to make sure that what they're doing is is actually helpful in protecting people. That's good so, to hear. Good things are happening. It's shocking. Yeah. So speaking of good things happening, let's talk about something not good happening. Um, so let's talk about the uh, the um, about Emperor Victor Orban. Oh, you I mean know. the the one who uh, like. Like in one of our Star Wars episodes, is the Senate? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I am the Senate. <laughs> yeah. So Viktor Orban, uh, who's the the Prime Minister of Hungary, is basically through through Parliament, mind you, giving himself emergency powers dealing with the COVID nineteen virus and for indefinite length yeah. of time, right? Yeah. And basically, he can rule by decree mm-hmm. and can suspend the very Parliament that voted for this yeah um and they're pretty sweeping powers to arrest people for uh spreading misinformation um yeah what is anything he does under pretty stark penalties information he doesn't like well and that's the thing is like we're dealing with i think a broader issue everywhere in the world about kind of vetting information that people are putting out there and whether it's accurate and helpful or inaccurate and potentially dangerous for people. And so you're seeing uh, both social media companies and national governments in a lot of places um, apply a different kind of scrutiny to this than they normally would as a, as a free speech issue um, to where, I mean like Twitter and Twitter and Facebook um, and especially Twitter, I think have, have recently had kind of permissive policies on not deleting stuff from public figures um, that would otherwise violate the terms of service uh, because their their rationale is there's a public interest component here of like if this is a statement by a head of state or head of government, then that. It's got sort of a special standing as far as like for the record um, and for historical purposes and, and so forth. But even even then, um, like there have been cases recently where like Twitter has deleted um, posts by folks like uh, President Bolsonaro in Brazil, uh, where you've had political figures, including heads of state and government, uh, share misinformation or potentially misleading unvetted information about yeah. about the coronavirus and ways to deal with it. So that's a real issue. But the question is, what happens when you have a government that has spent the last couple of years kind of sliding in worrying directions about rule of law and 
um, tolerance for dissent more generally, um, it's, potentially taking advantage of of those very real concerns and questions for reasons that have nothing to do with actual public health, but use that as a pretext. Yeah. And the way the, the EU is kind of set up only aids, because they just need their... The initial reaction was to this was, oh, the EU is going to censor Hungary or per, uh, have some sort of punitive measure aimed at dissuading them from further. But all you need is one other member state to, to veto that. And Poland is kind of not as far along in this sort of illiberal trend, but they're very much trending they're, in that direction. They're trying. They're, oh, they're, try, they're trying. And so they would immediately toss it out. So the statement that was released by the European Commission uh, went something along the lines of, um, you know, we need to make sure that our these kind of, during these, these times of pandemic, countries need to, you know, use the powers they need to, but also not take advantage of emergency. Just super vague. Um, they didn't even mention Hungary by name, even though everyone knew who they were talking about. And it was so great, and it was so vague and so toothless that even Hungary signed on to it. So they <laughs> they they said, "Yeah, we we just as like a big fuck you to the EU Commission." And yeah, it's pretty great trolling, I have to admit. But but yeah, the EU's been pretty mute on on the situation there, I guess. But it's it's yeah. it's really like the perfect moment for for Orban because he's like, "Okay, this COVID nineteen thing, so we can close the borders to keep all the immigrants out." Yeah. Which are all bad, obviously, and destroying his national identity. So he, he, not that I think that, but that's what he thinks. Then also, it's like people can't really get together and protest right. when you know there's because <laughs> you know this whole virus thing, and like, oh, if they do, he can arrest them. Rob. So I, I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago this issue of disinformation coming out of social media sources in China and Russia. Um specifically targeted at EU audiences. And one of the things that uh, the, the EU diplomatic court n in their study noted on that is that several of these uh, streams of misinformation specifically make a point of trying to scapegoat vulnerable minority groups. Uh, and so that for, for either kind of civil society groups or political parties and leaders who are um, sort of inclined towards xenophobia and repression and uh, other kinds of bigotry, it adds fuel to the fire for them to stir up either existing or potential constituents if they're able to say, oh, look, there, there are all of these people saying that such and such group that we already don't like Right. is is responsible in some way um, for the spread of the virus or for undermining public health measures to contain it or or whatever. So there's a a dangerous and worrying connection there between uh, sort of short-sighted approaches to international rivalry and dangerous trends in domestic politics that, combine to undermine public health and rule of law more broadly. So just to pivot a little bit, let's talk a little bit about uh, international institutions and cooperation and all that kind of stuff that's been supposedly happening. Well, it has certainly been happening in the 
uh, vaccine. I mean, we've there's been we're nowhere now at human trials, which will be kind of a six to eight months to that. And um, but to get to that point was a, ma- a pretty massive effort among the world scientific community. So that's that's at least a positive of indi- indication that there is some international cooperation. But we've also seen obviously the other end of that, um, probably more often than not. China mouthpiece. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've seen sort of a mix of good, bad, and ugly. I mean, good being what stuff is Taiwan. Like- <laughs> well, but but I mean, good being certain certain offers of of international aid from countries that have more more resources or are kind of having a better luck dealing with the situation you mean as like well Ru- as collaboration like on vaccines. Uh, yeah, there's there's some interesting questions to be had about the accuracy of uh, Russia's statistics, despite the fact that their land mass does allow for a certain extra measure of social distancing than most of us right. can take advantage of. Yeah, um, it's, it's, called, it's called how they never lost... It's called the, Ru- the Russian national sport is social distancing. <laughs> but no, uh, well, they, they, well, no uh, it's a comp- it, they've got a competition between three national sports. It's that um, competitive vodka toasts and those uh, slapping contests <laughs> uh, <laughs> you yeah. can watch, which are, are quite entertaining. Uh, I mean, I will I will give them genuine credit for that as a, a novel and amusing uh, new sport concept. Just like Harkadal. But um, that that is not a sport. <laughs> <laughs> They're making it one. Um, but no, it's like it's like they keep giving aid to different countries. Like the U.S. is receiving aid from Russia. It's like, what the fuck is Putin's angle? Except be like, no, look, we the good guys. Yeah, they sent one plane, and that now it's like he's getting a lot of good publicity about it. But yeah, I think the, the issue with the WHO has been kind of the point organization for um, this entire crisis. But it's kind of it already comes from a questionable questionable position because of its kind of, as is very much the case recently, um, you, you see a lot of shifting in influence and who, which countries have what um, pull in these international organizations, which by themselves are nothing without the cooperation of the member states. Well, and we were talking privately before the podcast about uh, something that I would encourage everyone to to watch because it's fascinating viewing. Tiger uh, King, <laughs> not that. Um, also, although yes. that seems to be something of a uh, a salve for the uh, collective stress of this moment. Um, but there is a fascinating um, video clip of a video chat interview between a journalist and a. World Health Organization official um, where she is trying to probe uh, sort of his thoughts on how Taiwan has dealt with the coronavirus outbreak because they seem to have been uh, very much one of the most successful um, governments in instituting public health measures that have really kept infection rates down. and so she was questioning this WHO official about it. Uh, and there is a, f- in particular about like admitting Taiwan as a distinct member of the WHO, which it is not currently. And fascinating exchange um, where the WHO official engages in really awkward attempts at deflection. Um, at one point, 
the connection cuts out, it at least seems, although I certainly cannot verify that the WHO official hung up on the journalist um, and she called him back and he continued trying to deflect the question and said something to the effect of, um, well, we think that all parts of China are doing a great job in responding to this, um, which <laughs> that's brilliant. Explain that real quick. <laughs> all parts of China. Well, I mean, given given the increased uh, level of influence that uh, the People's Republic of China has managed to gain in various international institutions, including the WHO in recent years, uh, that's that's just one really interesting thing you can you can actually watch the video of this um, out of a series of moments where there is concern that the WHO has been kind of going out of its way to sort of parrot the party line of uh, the mainland Chinese government at the expense of just objectively engaging in public health guidance and uh, information dissemination and international collaboration coordination efforts. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's sort of a, a troubling uh, development in the context of a, a truly international public health challenge like this, especially given the huge questions that there are about exactly how reliable the information and statistics coming out of uh, the mainland Chinese government have been for the entire duration of this crisis. Uh, there, there are significant questions about uh, even their reported numbers of infections and fatalities with uh, some external estimates suggesting that there are at, at least 10 times as many fatalities uh, in areas like Wuhan as have been officially reported. Yeah, it, it's kind of, I mean, it's a little bit ridiculous. I mean, do you think, okay, this is a side question. Do you think maybe that's why it's called COVID-19 this time instead of some sort of name because the Chinese were like, don't, we don't want to call it like Wuhan flu or something like that. Cause like they, they've been doing a lot of work to like try to downplay like there's been, like, They've kind of put information that it didn't come from China originally or that it isn't that bad, or were none of us are responsible for it. Yeah, I mean, there was a really interesting internal rupture uh, where you had one one official from uh, the Chinese Foreign Affairs bureaucracy uh, on Twitter basically trumpeting a conspiracy theory uh, that this was created and released by the U.S. military. Um, but yeah. the but the Chinese ambassador to the United States, um, who is a very senior respected official uh, in his own right, hence hence his getting that sort of important position, um, took the unusual step of publicly criticizing his colleague on that on that point. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's there's sort of a, an interesting indication of rupture uh, among a lot of officials in, in the government and party about how to how to respond to this and what messages to send which we're um, used to but no one's yeah. no one in the administration well, well, has called out jerry falwell yet but but i mean we're, we're more <laughs> used to, to the questionability of information than i think of such big internal splits mm-hmm. that's that's an interesting development because 
usually there's there's a better effort um, as per public diplomacy practice across the world to maintain sort of a unified set of talking points. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting that there is that split there. Uh, but but I'm not I'm not so concerned about the the naming convention in that when we're talking about the official designation as, as COVID-19, that's, I mean, that's, that's standard, more official professional public health and epidemiologist terminology there. Um, there's, there's nothing inappropriate with using that. It's precise and clear. We know exactly what it refers to. Um, there has been some weird stuff going on though about kind of more colloquial names where like the, there was a point where people in the media were tending to refer to it as things like the, the Wuhan coronavirus after its point of origin. Uh, and there was a huge push by a lot of Chinese officials to stop stuff like that because it did include place names that pointed to, to China as a point of origin. Um, and kind of interesting level of effort to uh, by a lot of a lot of parties outside of China to uh, sort of reinforce that. But on the other hand, there was a legitimate concern of that kind of geographically specific labeling actually fueling very real instances of, of racism. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah, I, I, that's not made up. Like, I I know people who are like, yeah, my my kid was at school last week or two before they shut down schools and was having like was witnessing cases of like Asian American classmates be shunned by other classmates because their kids had other kids in the class had picked up some idea that because they are uh, of of a particular racial or ethnic origin, therefore they are uh, potentially infected by this or potentially responsible or, or some fuzzy idea. Yeah. So I don't want to discount the idea that there are, there are instances of, of real sort of racial backlash. That's, and that is important to, to note and to counter. And not just racism, but, hate like active hate crimes i mean that there was Mm -hmm. that story about the guy who went after the chinese family or chinese american family in the supermarket because he thought he was they were infecting the grocery store with um you know covid so fun plot twist is that the asshole doing that is just as likely if not more so to have been spreading the disease as yeah the people he was victimizing right yeah yeah, that's the one thing about the virus that makes it it's really pure. It, it doesn't discriminate. No, it, it spreads uh, yeah, pretty they're, evenly they're... across people. And, uh, I mean, yes, there are people who are more vulnerable to serious complications, but it can kill anyone, too. Yeah. Uh, just it, a... it kills young, healthy people periodically, uh, just like it kills people who have known health complications. Yeah. Just a quick aside, there was a, a great article a few months ago, before this was ever a thing, in The Economist about um, how society, social leveling occurs and how you know inequality doesn't really go away unless there's some sort of cataclysmic event like a pandemic or a Russian or, or, or a Russian 
style revolution. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this, I mean, I, obviously I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like this is going to be on that cataclysmic scale, but there's always that, um, wait you know, for what, it. what, what, yeah, wait, exactly. Like how, how, how much does society bend before it breaks and what comes after that? Well, and I mean, this is certainly an interesting, All right, Rob, last stress, <laughs> but this is certainly an interesting stress test on a lot of aspects of our our society our political institutions our our economy at uh-huh. at each level yeah uh, is just one international thing. yeah all right lex any last thoughts too nope. yeah, i think we covered it all right then uh yeah well okay. one, one there there you are there you are but, no but Skype. one, one, <laughs> no, one ahead, really one really serious last thought uh once again reinforcing to anyone who's listening Take this seriously, be responsible, and keep in mind that all of the guidance about how to respond to it is not about you. It's about you keeping other people, including your neighbors or your parents or your grandparents or other people's grandparents from getting killed. Uh, I, I cannot harp on that enough. Amen to that. Keep social, dis- uh, keep social distancing. and uh, Wash your damn hands. Yes, wash your hands, oh. wear your mask, do everything you should be doing. Be smart yep. about it. But uh, that was almost a medic. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Skype. <laughs> we're like you're, the only ones still using game. Skype. Skype hey, is like, we're, we're relevant. Shit, it's great. It has the, the MP. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Almost Diplomatic. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me today is, we didn't go over who's going first. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, uh, Rob, then Lex. Okay. <laughs> I was like, going, I was like <laughs> you, you were saying, I'm just like, oh fuck. <laughs> I was like, I was about the point of like, Robert Thomas Cardone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, t- Robert Thomas, Corona expert. Les Cardone, Tiger King episode, <laughs> Tiger King expert. Enthusiast. <laughs> at one point, the guy's just like, "Yes, I have uh, enga- engaged in meth at, in my life." It's like, dude, you have four teeth. We know. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I can't. It's like, I can't believe it. Uh, <laughs> All right.